I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, podcast for NPR Illinois Community Voices and also for the Front Row Network. We talk all things Disney, and we're in the midst of a very special month of June here. Uh, and we can't wait to share our next interview with a Disney legend with you. And we'll get to that just as soon as we introduce ourselves. My name is Craig. I am the host of Beyond the Mouse. I have my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Well, hello. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson, how are you? Doing great, Craig. That is awesome. We are going to share with you and jump right into it after a brief introduction, our interview with Bob Gurr. So let me tell you a little bit about Bob. He's quoted as saying, if it moves on wheels in the Disney parks, I probably designed it. His works include the monorail, the Omnimover system used at the Haunted Mansion and other attractions, and the Matterhorn bobsleds attractions at Disneyland, among many, many others. Overall, he's responsible for over 200 different projects throughout his career. Bob has also worked on projects for, with Michael Jackson and for Steve Wynn's Vegas casinos as well. In 2004, Bob Gurr was named a Disney legend. So I can't wait to share with you this interview. It was such a great time. Uh, we're so grateful to Bob for sitting down with us. And let's just go ahead and get right into it. Well, welcome to the show, Bob Gurr. We are so excited to have you uh, here on Beyond the Mouse in NPR Illinois. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us for a little bit. And we're gonna dive right into some questions for you. And actually, what I want to know first is not, uh, obviously you've had this such a storied career in not only in automotives, but also aviation and effects. Um, but my question is uh, more looking at some events that happened this past week. For the first time in nine years, we blasted some astronauts off into space from uh, United States soil on a private commercial uh, rocket. And so I wanted to get your opinions or your thoughts on SpaceX and, and kind of where that space exploration is going to, to kind of throw something at you here right at the beginning, <laughs> a little bit current event. Well, I'm qualified because I uh, met uh, Musk about eight years ago out at the Tesla design facility at the Hawthorne Airport. Uh, a couple of years later, I had a, a wonderful tour of the entire SpaceX manufacturing facility. Uh, where they manufacture the engine and all, a lot of the big uh, uh, main uh, uh, launch vehicle. Um, Musk is a, he's one of those kind of guys that he, everything he does, a lot of people can't stand him. But these are the very, pe these are the very people that are highly motivated and they think in their own way. Um, I knew a guy a little bit like that, a guy named Walt Disney. Um, I'm a little bit on the irascible side. That's why my favorite character is Donald Duck, uh, because he's irascible and very independent. So Musk is one of those characters. He started out rather quietly, a, a young man, had some interesting ideas, was not afraid to do anything, wound up inventing PayPal, made a lot of money, poured more money into things uh, starting a long, long time ago to do SpaceX, then wound up buying uh, Tesla that already was in existence. Uh, it was created by Martin Eberhard. I had a nice lunch with him and his family a number of years ago, and they told me all the bad side about Musk. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So the fact that uh, there's a lot of naysayers, but if you stop and just quietly pay attention to everything he does and all the people he collects and turns them loose and wants them to do their best thinking for him and everything that he wants to see done, I met a whole bunch of them down at SpaceX. When you look in the eyes of the people at SpaceX, there isn't a vegetable in the bunch. Everybody is a solid doer, totally enthusiastic. The kind of place that has free food all day long. If the buffet doesn't suit you, go upstairs, there's a chef, he'll cook you what you want. This is Musk's idea of making sure 
smart people have 100% freedom to think all day long on their property. Nobody goes out for lunch. Why would you waste your time? Focus 100% on what you're doing. I followed the, uh, the whole um, design rationale um, of the, uh, the whole series of uh, uh, rockets based upon uh, the one engine. And of course, you, the big one, the heavy has uh, 27 engines, of course. NASA would never do anything like that, but Musk would, because he's, he and his team have thought out every detail and could see their way, which the way could you decide to do things and take only those courses that looks like they will work. And voila, in the middle of all this pandemic, all the disruption in America, happy rocket, if you watched it live, it was so simple. Everything works flawless, the communications, the camera, everything. And I'm sure there are a bunch of old NASA guys and a bunch of Boeing and Lockheed people are going, you want to do that good. Right. Yeah. We, uh, I have a four-year-old, and he was just enamored with the whole thing. He, uh, yeah. we, we watched the live feed of the rocket for about four hours leading up to the launch, and it just – it, it, it was such an inspiration. And so uh, it's, it's exciting to see where we go from here. But now uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk to you about your story career and the career that's still going on. So I think Vanessa has our first question for you. Okay, yeah. we'll have to go. All righty. Well, before you got your start working at Disney, uh, you actually frequented the uh, home of Ab Iwerks. Uh, what was it like to know him and, and visit his home as a kid? Well, I knew Ab Iwerks as Ab Iwerks, but I had no idea what he did. I knew he worked at Disney. Uh, he had two sons, one older and one younger. The younger one is my age, and we were uh, high school buddies together. We were in the same car club together. We went out uh, rabbit hunting and deep sea fishing together. Uh, Ub works family was on my paper route in World War II when I was delivering papers. So uh, I knew the family. I knew he worked at Disney, but he never told me what he did. Anytime he was had a few minutes and wanted to buttonhole me, he'd have me come in the garage to his gun shop and show me, show him, uh, show me all his guns and how he was uh, machining and designing the mechanical stuff all the time. It wasn't until I got to the Disney studio and I went over to special effects lab. Uh, you never told me you and Walt started the company. <laughs> oh, it was very, very informal, very nice. And that's basically how I wound up knowing the iWorks all those years. Wow. Incredible. Brett, uh, you wanted to talk about somebody else that he knows. Yeah, well. someone else. Um, you mentioned him briefly, but you it seems that you had an amazing working relationship with Walt Disney. And you hear so much about how his animators uh, for films and Imagineers at WED wanted to do their best for him. What was it, okay, what was it like working with Walt Disney? Uh, I get the question that always starts out, what was it like, you know, it's like, you had a great career, girl. What was that like? <laughs> um, usually, um, I, I respond quicker to a, a very specific question, you know. Ah. Well, well, I'll hop, hop ahead and answer, answer the question that you didn't ask. Okay. Oh, um, I have one afterwards, <laughs> though. I have my, you'll love my follow-up. Go ahead. All right. Um, remember, I just found myself in the middle of this idea of a Disneyland and a, and a studio where there was a building that my father used to take me by back in the late 30s. And I said, what is that? And they said, that's where Donald Duck lives. That's all I knew about Walt Disney. Um, it only, only took a couple of days to figure out this is another bright bunch of people. They're all enthusiastic and uh, started working with uh, Walt directly uh, immediately, right, right from the second week. But in watching how Walt worked with people, I could get a better and better picture every week that went by. Number one, he always walked around. He wasn't in the office all that much yet. Of course, you got a big administrative staff, vice presidents, all that. But the fact that he would be in the shop, he'd be out in the sets, a Western set, way out in the back, out in the 
you know, where there's horses and stuff, or he'd be in the small model shop, or he'd come in the machine shop where I was, or sometimes he'd come up to see my drafting board, see what I'm doing. He never basically gave orders to anybody. He would be always wandering around, always visible, uh, sort of social, sometimes serious. Uh, I had a nice office for a while. He'd come in sometimes. He'd just sit down. I had a big old leather chair, and he'd just sit there. And then other days, he'd come in, head straight to my drafting board, see what you're doing, ask a couple of questions. But before a new project would start, it was a curious thing. He would wander around to people, and he'd suddenly just start a conversation. He'd say, say, Bobby, we're thinking of doing, and he'd tell you what it was. And then he'd say, uh, do you think a thing like that would ever work? And then I find out he's doing that to everybody. Mm. Well, guess what he's doing? He's picking your brain to get your thoughts, but he's also giving you an advance hint of attractions coming. <laughs> so the things were never launched in the grand orders that big presidents and CEOs do today because they all went to college and they're all MBAs. Walt never was, uh, he never had his MO ruined by uh, education. Uh, he was able to act as Walt Disney and treating people right and wanting to always have enthusiastic ideas. Now, the other side of that is, let's say you spend the millions and you spend the months and uh, you, you have a big failure. This is not good in any company where you have a, a boss who is a very threatening uh, person, which we do, did have a few in Disney later on. Um, he would look at something that failed. We can't get the money back. We can't get the time back. But he'd say, well, well, we found out what doesn't work. So why don't we get going? Let's see if we can figure out something really to, to get this to work. Well, the effect on... Uh, his people would be, number one, I didn't get cut off. Uh, I wasn't fired. And uh, he didn't kill me right away for my bad idea to put him in this pickle. Um, and then he, the fact that he asks something, not tell you something. Now you are full of ideas of the thing that will go beyond the thing that doesn't work. Think of that. That is the most critical thing that you can do when you're, you're working with creative people. Never, never hurt their feelings that will damp down their, their enthusiastic ideas and creative ideas. But always do something in a, in a, when a situation's bad that you're, you're still giving them to, to come up with their ideas uh, and, and share it all. No, that is the most important thing that I started to see about Walt. And as the time went on, more and more confirmation of that. Well, how did you, how did Walt bring out the best in people and know that they could do the things that they even didn't know that they could do? Oh, that was his secret weapon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw this constantly. Uh, everybody knows that you know, and uh, Exitensio would always uh, say when somebody asked him a question, X is, uh, you know, he's a background artist, fine artist, knows a lot of things, but uh, music is not his forte. And, and we're getting ready at the pirate ride. Walt says, okay, X, I want you to write the music for the pirate ride. X would say, well, I don't write music. And Walt says, well, I think you can. And if you're having any trouble with the, you know, the notes and the keys on the piano and all that stuff, go down and see George Brunts. He'll, he'll write it out for you. Um, and then Walt. Yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> Walt, see, Walt would walk away when he asked you to do something like that before you can say, but, uh, uh, he's gone. <laughs> you are now stuck. There's nobody to say no to. Um, and if you're smart, you'll go, I'll go around the studio and you'll start asking people about stuff that you know you're going to need to do something that you never did. This was completely universal. He would, he had a sense of what you might be able to do, even though you never, uh, never did it. And I, in my case, I was hired to, 
design a body for the little Autopia car because they paid a guy to have build a little chassis, but he didn't know how to build a body. So I'm the guy that comes in to going to going to build a body for the little car. Walt assumed if I do the bodies, well, I certainly did all the mechanical engineering. Well, I didn't. I have no engineering training, whatever, but I fooled around with cars as a kid, you know, with Dave Iwerks. Um, I just shut up and tried to learn everything I needed to in order to uh, build these cars. Uh, the first car was not successful out of 37 cars on the attraction at the end of the week, uh, first week, there was only two cars left running. So I had to start really learning what works, what doesn't work the same way uh, X would learn about music, you know, what would work, what would not work and you gain your knowledge in it. Mm -hmm. And I think most all the people I met there in those years wound up doing stuff that was not in their normal line of work. And then, and now when I answer questions like this and I look back, it's like, I have, I did 250 jobs, 100 for Walt, 100, no, and 100, no, 100 for Walt, 150 for everybody else. None of them ever repeated. That wow. meant I never got good at anything. <laughs> oh, you started out every, brilliant, so. <laughs> no, really, uh, uh, Everything you do is different. And early on, working with Disney, of course, you have no fear of being in that situation. When somebody would ask you to do something, right away your mind would see possibilities. And I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. You know, Steve Wynn calls and he says, I want, I need to sink a ship on Las Vegas Boulevard. Ooh, that sounds cool. I'll, I'm not too frightened. I got two friends. We joined together and we did it. Uh, those kind of things. So what I'm trying to tell you is what Walt's way of thinking and how he treated people uh, just created all of that wet enterprises on top of the Disney studio, which came right out of the 20s and the 30s, Snow White, everything after World War II, movies and everything. And now it's logical to make an amusement park. I've never done one before, but I'll do one with people who have never done it, but they'll, they'll, we'll all do it together. That logic continued on with so many people who later became legends, uh, did things in the same way with that freedom of want to do it and then have no fear to do it. Wow, that is brilliant, so good. Absolutely, absolutely. Vanessa? Yeah, so um, after Walt hired you and you realized you're gonna be designing Autopia vehicles for this thing called Disneyland, whatever that is, um, are you, were you worried at all about it, about it being successful? Or did, did you have a sense that this thing called Disneyland was gonna be a, a huge success? Um, I think you said, was I worried about being successful or is that well, the way you said it? Well, were you worried that, that like this, this new thing, this new thing called Disneyland, that it was going to be a flop or, or did you get the sense that you were a part of something that would actually go on to be massively successful? No, when something is a wild idea and it's intriguing, you don't even entertain a thought that it won't work you're there and you're gonna help make it work. So worry never shows up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you know, we've heard so many uh, stories about the opening of Disneyland and we've heard about the, the concrete not being completely dry and, and all these people flooding into uh, Main Street. But can you tell us from your perspective, you came on what about six months or so before the park was open and you were tasked with creating all of these attractions and all of these things. And um, what was your, what was your, what were you thinking or what was your experience on that opening day? Well, opening day was, um just one of the days of, of months and months of days that were started out as uh, six days a week while Walt paid you for five. And then pretty soon you're working seven and you're still paid for five. So that led up to, and I'm serious, most everybody was down there every day. Uh, I, I had a long drive. I had uh, about a 110 mile round trip every day. 
for months and months and months. So opening day merely was, oh, well, uh, everything's pretty much working. Well, there'll be people here today. That's the only difference. But we had twice as many people because people were uh, figuring out how to copy the invitations. And there was a guy out in the back fence. He had a ladder and he was charging people money to grease his ladder to come over the fence to get into the park. So we had, yeah, we had, and it was very, very hot that day. Um, Now, on top of opening Disneyland, getting everything finally finished as close as we could get it. On top of that, we had a um, 90-minute black and white television program with cameras that you can't walk around with. These things are like 300-pound things on tripods. And I, there must have been a 1,000 miles of great big heavy black cable everywhere on top of everything we're already trying to do. So yes, it's a very busy day. We had a, uh, a lot of things where we had to have Autopia cars in the parade. So we had to get, I had to move a bunch of them over there with some, some of the kids and then try to keep them running because on a hot day, a little one-cylinder air-cooled engines, a vapor lock, old-fashioned gasoline. Uh, so the cars were dying constantly until we, you know, the parade started. Then at the end of the parade, I got to put them all back on the ride again. And then we had to be ready for all the television by later and later in the day, all the television is, is there. Uh, but wherever the television cameras were, you know, with Ronnie Reagan and, and a couple, couple other friends of, uh, of uh, Waltz, uh, um, all these movie stars that were invited uh, were a bunch of tag-alongs, you know. <laughs> you know, we have Frank Sinatra, all kinds of people, a lot of, a lot of actresses. So we have these multiple layers of stuff on top of just getting something done. So... Uh, I do have vivid memories of the entire day. Uh, the biggest one is the people, guests were so enthusiastic about everything that when they got over to the Autopia ride, most of the cars were, were still running good on the first day. People would jump the, uh, the railings and run up the track and stop the cars returning to the ride and pull the people out and take over the car. Uh, it was such enthusiasm. So... And the poor ride operators uh, had not been fully trained yet. We weren't sure exactly how it would work. So I was so glad to go home and get home about 11 o'clock that night and get up at 6 in the morning and go back down and do it all over again. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's <laughs> and here we are thinking yeah. that our fast pass system is, uh, is, is hard to handle. You're not, you're not dragging people out of the car yeah. while you're Wow. Around. It's amazing. That's great. That is great. Um, Brett, uh, let's, let's start talking about the monorails. Well, I, well, I mean, you have it right behind you. The design is so iconic, you know, it's both retro and futuristic at the same time. Can you tell us a little bit about designing the monorail? Okay. Backing up just a little bit. I wanted to be an airplane designer. My math was so bad. I couldn't be an engineer. So I had cars were my second choice because it doesn't require mathematics. It's all art, just the outside mm-hmm. shape of the car. I uh, went on a General Motors scholarship to Art Center, got hired into General Motors, but I got waylaid and taken to the Ford Motor Company instead, which burned the bridge, came back here after a year. But I had a great teacher who showed the importance of integrity of design and surface development and proportion, all that kind of stuff. Uh, very classical teacher. So in my mind, when I was asked to do something, there's certain things you're going to do that's right. It just, it's, I can't explain it any other way. Well, yes, it focused on cars, but it would focus on other things leading up to the idea of a monorail. Uh, two years before that, remember the little viewliner train? I designed mm-hmm. a viewliner train. Mm-hmm. It was automobile based, yes. So that was, uh, you know, comfortable for me. Then Walt walks in and shows me pictures of this uh, German monorail and says we're making a deal with the Allweg company. And uh, here's some pictures of their train. It's not very, not very good looking. So I want you to get started right away on our train. 
and he walks off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was just leave it to Bob. It'll work out. So <laughs> he gave me some technical information to do with uh, on the general size of the things that the Germans had told him. But in hindsight, I'd look back and think I literally had a white piece, a white piece of paper mm -hmm. like that. It would still terrify people. What do you want me to do? I got a piece of paper. Do you know what I can do? No. So I could see right away uh, that the German train was, you know, looked like a big old streetcar with a slot in the bottom sitting on a stick, and the front end was as gracious as World War II German bombers. So I could see why Walt didn't like that one one bit. But I looked at the fact that number one thing we gotta do, we don't wanna see that slot so prominently with this blunt flat nose. That is not the thing mm -hmm. to do. Uh, and it took about a 10 minute sketch at my, uh, at my uh, breakfast nook at home a day or two later. And I thought, oh, Buck Rogers rocket ship in the comic books. I used to love Buck Rogers and I'm laying on, laying on the Sunday, Carpet on Sunday mornings, watching, reading all about Buck Rogers, you know, Dr. Zarkov, and it had these little fins where it came down and landed on the planet, you know. And I thought, oh, that will do it. That, that will hide the slot. People will only see the nose, the little bubble, and they only see the fins going, starting out from the front. It was basically camouflage, but the shapes were geometrically very simple. Uh, one of the things about design, uh, a little lesson to learn, the more you make alternate sketches and the more you noodle and the more meetings you have and the more people that get involved, the, the muddier and messier your design's gonna get. Think clearly, sketch fast, and get a good drawing done soon enough without anybody stopping you. And that's exactly what I did. I made the drawing, John Hinch puts a little bit of color on it because I didn't know how to do the color. Walt took one look and he simply said, Bobby, can you build that? And I said, sure. And he looked at my boss, Roger Brogy Sr. of the machine shop and he walked out. That's just simple as that. So the <laughs> job started with a, I want you to get started. And then the sketch on the wall. He said, I say, yes. He says, okay. And that's, it, that's all it took to go to the design and have something pure. Now, to get back to your earlier part of your question, look how many years from 1959 to today, and the monorail is kind of a Disney icon in, in several of its parks. And people say, well, why is that? Well, I point out the fact, if you design shapes that are classically simple, they will endure because they are not they're not topical to the era in which it was designed. So luckily, uh, the original Utopia car, still today, it looks like a cute little shrunken Ferrari. Uh, the monorail still looks, has the same feel of Buck Rogers in 1938. Mm -hmm. And here we are in 2020, um, and people still admire it. And look how many models have been built of those monorails, different model, different, Mark one, two, three, four, five, six, seven now. Uh, but somehow the first one was the pure one. Yeah, it's, yeah. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Vanessa has a, a question close to home. Yeah, well, you, you did mention Land of Lincoln earlier. So we are from the Land of Lincoln here in Springfield, Illinois. So we have to ask you about that famous Abraham Lincoln animatronic not only did you have the task of making him move but you had to actually make him stand up tell us what what was that experience like building the guy that we love here in the land of Lincoln well we were all working on a, a world's fair various parts of it my major job was the uh doing all of the engineering on the Ford Magic Skyway which is a very complicated uh long long development project Late in 1963, just before the World's Fair was going to open in, in April of 64, 
uh, Walt asked my boss and I to come over and look at the studio and look at something. And here is this very pathetic looking uh, animated Lincoln that had been built in the machine shop for about a year and it still did not work. And I took a look at it. And I could see why it uh, was not ever going to work because it was the thinking was sort of ironwork uh, without much thought, you know, because that's what, you know, machine shops usually do, a shop floor. And Walt was very upset with this thing because it's out of, it's out of time. Uh, and we've got to have it now because they, they're going ahead with the Lincoln exhibit. So Walt, very quickly, same way as always did, Bobby, I want twice as many moves and half as much weight and get going now. And I immediately looked at Lincoln and I immediately saw him as an airplane, an airplane fuselage, little tiny steel tubes, little tiny aircraft, uh, little bearings, Fafner uh, bearings, control uh, bearings, uh, a completely different uh, philosophy of, of looking at it. And I've never designed a human before. I really didn't know where all the parts go and how you're going to, where they're going to move. A couple of days later, Walt comes by and he says, uh, say, would it help if I got an actor to come in and um, uh, we'll set up uh, uh, mirrors with a, uh, with a camera and we can get multiple shots and I'll get you a 35 minute, uh, 35 millimeter clip and you can put it on a moviola machine, which is a little glass plate and you can draw, draw your drawings over the top of that to see where you want to put the bearings for body motions. Oh, that'd be great. So we did that a couple of days later on a sound stage, just uh, Royal Dano, the actor, and Walt, and myself, and a camera guy, and a grip. Uh, that's all it was, a very secret thing. And uh, so we, we did three run-throughs to get that, and it turned out that's the soundtrack for Abraham yeah. Lincoln, the very first one. So yeah. Walt's doing different things, not telling you what he's doing. <laughs> um, so he... Yeah, hired for a voiceover and got the whole thing. So, <laughs> no, well, they'd already built the sculpt for it, and we had oh, wow. uh, you know, we had the body laying around. Um, so I went out and got, ordered a foam body, and I looked at it like a car body. I put you know station lines on it, to identify where everything's gonna you know keep track of the dimensions. So I then uh, put the marks on. I took Lincoln out to the shop and the bandsaw, and I ran him through the bandsaw and sliced him up. So, you know, like the legs would have, you know, amorphous shapes, but it looked like a bunch of round steak on my desktop with a sawn up Lincoln. But I had to get the dimensions of this shape that was not like a car. You follow me? Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, to get all the uh, parts on the inside. So I, I designed the whole body, but not, not the head, not the hands. They were already working good. Um, so uh, took 90 days. Uh, I had to do that 90 days real quick before uh, to get back to the Magic Skyway. And I never did see it finished until opening day. I was too busy at everything else. So, wow. And then in later years, yeah, then in later years, about 1977, we were cleaning a lot of junk out of our, uh, off, uh, our shop in Glendale. And a guy says, say, we, we, we know you like that old Lincoln. Um, we're going to look the other way for 20 minutes and go up in the mezzanine and open the casket, take anything you want, because uh, we kept them in a casket. And so I took the upper body and got it out to my car, got past the guards, and I had it for years. And then Diane uh, Disney Miller found out I had it. So her young, uh, her young son, Walter Miller, he bugged me for years, and he says, my mom's making a museum. I think you promised it to her. Uh, <laughs> so let me know, and I'll send a guy over to your house and get it. <laughs> wow. If you go to the wow. museum in San Francisco, um, I've, uh, I, that's on loan to uh, the Disney Family Museum. Wow. So, that's that's, that's yeah. original. That's... I was originally in, the, in, spring, in uh, Illinois. The World's Fair, yeah. Of Springfield. Yeah. Well, thank you on behalf of all of Illinois, you know. Yeah. yeah so whenever I go to so Disneyland, much. I have to go to the Opera House and have to go to Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln because actually Abraham Lincoln was my great great grandfather's next door neighbor. 
or my grandfather was. <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. So, so I have to go represent. Well, my great great grandfather made his shoes. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> the small I world. I have no connections, but I love the guy. So it's a small um, world. You know, <laughs> we could easily we could easily talk about the individual attractions that you've been working on uh, all day and and probably for weeks uh, because you've had over two hundred of them in your life, correct? But uh, but what what I, I think there's two others that we really wanted to hit on, um, and Brett's going to ask you about one, and then I think uh, and then I think Vanessa's going to ask about the others. So, well, uh, the Omni Mover was used in uh in uh the uh adventures through inner space to begin with voyage through inner space voyage through inner space because it's company. yes i went on it and and i thought and we're going to be shrunk so but you know but everyone really knows and loves the haunted mansion so what was it like collaborating with the haunted mansion design team you mentioned some of them but mark davis and existencio and claude coates and raleigh crump and yale gracie what was that like because you're working with you're you're working with people that are kind of doing the uh uh the production design the art direction and all of that and moving and and you're moving you're working on the moving parts to get everyone through the attraction. So if you have a few moments to talk about that. So. Well, basically, uh, in, 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 the, in the, what we call the wed days, everybody pretty much knew everybody. And, uh, and you always, when you had a few spare minutes at break time or something, you like to go over to where somebody's doing something really cool. Uh, if Mark was working on something, oh, I got a, five minutes, I'll go over and talk to Mark, see what he's up to. Uh, it, it was it was like that everywhere, you know. I'm doing mechanical work. There'd be artists that wonder, gee, it's easy to paint a picture, but Bob's out there with car parts in the shop. How the hell, how heck is he going to do that? So we always had this um, curiosity about what the other people were doing. So it was a very great big mix of people. Uh, we didn't have like, you know hard edges between departments. Everybody kind of schmoozed around and everything. That was kind of the way Walt uh, operated. Um, then some of the people that you've uh, mentioned, uh, particularly in, in my case, Herb Ryman was an artist who oh. would, would never physically build anything. Mm -hmm. But he and I got along so well because I was so curious about what does it take to really understand what you're looking at and how you can do it with a pencil or oil or watercolors, which are really a bit perfectly hard thing to really do well. But Herb would look and he says, how do you get anything mechanical to work? <laughs> you know, to, to the point that he had an older black Lincoln. See, there we are. There's Lincoln number two. Um, <laughs> There was always some difficulty, and then I get a phone call, and uh, I was expected to go out and retrieve him from his dead car, and they will make arrangement, get it towed, uh, you know, get it, get it fixed. So uh, Herbie and I had a had a great relationship like that. It was also the point uh, he would mostly brown bag. His sister would make him a, a lunch, and I would have a brown bag too. And a lot of guys would go out for lunch, and then. Herbie'd say, Bob, come on down to my room. We'll brown bag together. And then he would spend an hour telling all of the dirt about the animators at the studio. <laughs> so, um, I got all kinds of history lessons from him, but I got a wonderful picture of what it is to have the integrity of doing your design, your painting, your illustrations, what you do and how you do has to be so absolutely right. And we knew that Walt's eye could see when it was not quite right. And there'd be a little conversation. So all of us were that learning and Herbie was such a teacher for me. That's amazing. That's great. That's fantastic. So One of the other uh, Imagineers that uh, you worked with extensively was Marty Sklar. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about um, your collaboration with him and, and getting to do that, that work because, uh, of course, uh, he's also such a, much like yourself, just such a giant in the world of WED and the uh, world of Imagineering. Yeah, Walt hired him about six months after I was hired. 
So, uh, and he came in as a, you know, a college student from UCLA uh, on his way to a, being a professional writer. Uh, Marty somehow, uh, he and Walt got, got together just like peas in a pod right the first day at Disneyland. Uh, then he went back to school, came back, uh, you know, a couple of years later. And uh, Marty was in a very interesting position. While not necessarily designing anything, he evolved um, the culture of all the important things you do and you don't do in every direction throughout that entire company all those years. So that put him in a position that he, he literally moved along with this great big flood of Imagineers and all this new generations of how the theme park industry works to the point that by the time he became our Imagineer to the world, a, a great title, he had absorbed so much and was sort of the, the key guy that you'd go to and say, Marty, we're thinking of, or Marty, I got an idea. Marty, what do you think? And Marty would be, uh, along with uh, John Hench, which he shared an office with, uh, they could cogitate on your ideas and then give you the wisdom. Without Marty, we would another never had one guy that collected all the wisdom and spent all his hours disseminating it anytime anybody needed some information. Wow. At the same time, he is a professional writer. I got a D in English. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know much about cars, but I would explain anything to him. Uh, I'm, you know, I met him in 1963. Um, in his last years, he and I would, uh, you know, we go to a lot of panels, you know, like just like yeah, that. right. Uh, but at the same time, he would get a gig, and then he'd phone me up and says, "Hey, Bob, I got a gig. You want to go with me?" And he and I would go do a Bob and Marty show. For all <laughs> oh wow! Oh, all kinds of industry around the world. You know, about three years ago, he says, "Bob, we got an invitation to go two days to Austin, Texas." for the um, annual convention of the uh, Texas Department of Transportation, 1,500 people. Uh, they'll they'll uh, uh, give us a nice hotel room, a couple of days, fly us first class, and give us each, each of us $7,000 if we'll do it. So <laughs> Marty and I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he, Marty said, Robert, they're all Republicans, watch your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> When Marty retired, um, he started learning how to email because normally, you know, he's an executive and everything else is done for him. And then pretty soon he's got his own office at home. We would email uh, many times a week. And he has the same degree of sarcasm I have. There's a <laughs> hard way of uh, doing things. And we enjoyed each other's company with this sarcastic edge, snip, snip, snip. <laughs> and I learned that um, as you finish up a sentence, he's gonna come back at you, you go at him, you come back and forth. And then when he gave me a real zinger, I didn't answer. <laughs> I collected them, I, I called them Marty Barbs. Marty Barbs. <laughs> Marty Barbs, but that, wow. But that, but that shows an example around Walt You'd have diverse people mm -hmm. who'd become buddies, and and you couldn't forecast it. Wow, that yeah. is amazing! So cool. Absolutely. You uh, so Disney was obviously a, a major part of your career, but it wasn't the only part of your career. You've had so many other uh, examples of projects, and I know Vanessa had a, a, a list that she wanted to to talk about, and but maybe we can kind of combine it into one question here. Yeah, well, you know, you've like like Craig said, you've gone on to do larger than life projects. Um, one of which was the thirty foot tall King Kong that scared me to the dickens, but uh, <laughs> which which just shows how great of a design it was. But uh, you've also, um, you know, you did the sunken ship, the Mirage, and I, and I just wondered what it was like um, working on other non Disney projects, and if you have any favorites. Oh, the non-Disney projects were the best. These are the frisky, crazy, wild ones. 
they had a, uh, the, the difference from Disney is that these ideas were risky, much more, but Disney's quite conservative. Uh, and they would move at a blinding speed as far as the administration of it. And that was their secret to much lower cost. Ah. Because you had far, far less meetings and you had far more people uh, doing stuff on a collaboration basis, usually uh, run by uh, one uh, very fast moving leader, nobody else. And in case, case of Universal, we got used to working with Universal that way because it was a no nonsense, no meeting uh, type of company. Uh, and I, I flourish in a place like that. So do, so do a whole bunch of other people. Uh, that set, set the stage for when other people would call, like, you know, when Michael Jackson shows up, I show him around the shop for two hours. And then he all of a sudden he hits me with, say, can you do lighting for my up and cold coming rock and roll show? Well, you're immediately in the conversation. You have no, no doubts that this would be fun to do. And you immediately say yes and bang, you're in it. And nine weeks later, I've got uh, a gigantic animated apparatus. We went out on tour for 27 venues in 84. You know, just bang, just do it. That led to the flying saucer job for the closing ceremony of the Olympics. Five-week job. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you right away you scrape a lot of people off a job. It got down to where the last 30 footer I did was the Godzilla movie for um, uh, Carlo, not for uh, Sony TriStar. Um, and that job was, I designed the whole darn thing mechanically, the mechanical part of the creature. And two guys built the entire thing in five months. We, we've skinned things down to where you do not need managers, coordinators, uh, report people. You don't need meetings. You just have people where there's a, they're, they're all doers. There isn't anybody that doesn't have their hand on the product. Uh, so it can be done. By the, by the time we do that, and of course you have uh, uh, Steve Wynn says, I want to sink a ship, and uh, that's a terrifying thought. $13 million job. Fair amount of time to do it in, of course. Uh, and almost no super critical management. Just an owner who wants something, 22 different trades all working together, just zipping right along every month, no impediments of any kind, uh, sort of terrifying business uh, relationships because it's Las Vegas and the darn thing opens and it runs perfectly. Yeah. Um, so the 150 projects after, after Disney probably had a bigger variety of business lessons hmm. that um, just kept adding to everything that Walt had ever ta taught us. So that uh, by the time I do the last one, it was like, wow, I wanted to do airplanes. I couldn't do it. I wanted to do cars. But guess what? I wound up sinking ships and gorillas and Godzillas and <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, you're Absolutely. definitely a, a really, a really busy guy. <laughs> and we can't, and you're still busy. We, we were checking out your Instagram and and you're, you're on Pond Stars, you visited NASA, you're biking every day, you're sipping wine. What is the secret to all this success? Because I'm really hoping you're going to say it's the wine. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm right now finishing up a project uh, on SolidWorks. You folks know what SolidWorks is. Imagine an 88-year-old 80, guy learning SolidWorks. For wow. Yeah, that's, that's a heavy one. Hey. Uh, for uh, a uh, electric mobility vehicle uh, developed for an operator in uh, Celebration, Florida, for theme, for renting uh, scooters to theme parks. Huh. Uh, last um, October, I was down at Walt Disney World and uh, talked to this guy, and we said, "Let's go out and really analyze what guests." at a park like the Magic Kingdom really need and scooters because scooters are just like standard things. What a revelation to actually stop and look at what do the guests really need. Nobody's doing that. And I came away with such a list of stuff that scooters don't do 
And this guy says, I think you should design one that does all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got deeper and deeper. I'm going to do sketches. I'm going to do some wireframe design, pretty soon 2D design. That's okay. It's going to be 3D design. Oh, it's going to be on SolidWorks. So uh, two things. I'm, I'm learning a very heavy CAD program, but I'm doing some of the niftiest fun designing I have ever done in my oh, wow. life. If you realize what anything is CGI and you design mm-hmm. it right there on the screen in front of you, why do you think I got a 46 inch monitor? <laughs> oh, I enjoyed doing this. So the enthusiasm of going to the Disney studio on that first day in October of 54 and what I do every day right here is exactly the same. Wow. Now, there is no possibility of a retirement. There's no, there's no possibility of not being get up every morning and want to design something. Amazing. I hope Brett, to have you want that to ask enthusiasm. About, yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, try to keep that kind of enthusiasm. <laughs> the white the cage isn't scary. It's a, it's, it's a place for opportunities. And everyone, everyone has a different kind of white page, but everyone should attack it um, with the zest for life that you do. So, But I did have a question because um, Disney Plus is, is uh, bringing a whole new generation of Disney fans. You know, it's like you needed some more. But anyway... But they're they're learning um, from watching the imagination story. Um, what's it like to have a new generation learn about you and and call you for podcasts? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. Um, starting in the early '80s, uh, people would ask questions about how things were done at Disney. You know, how did you do a theme park? And of course, that was the actual start of the, you know, the fan, the fan blogs, the fan mm-hmm. enters. And now it's become a tremendously involved thing with auctions of um, millions of dollars with it, you know, used up right equipment, artwork and such. Um, and then here comes social media, you know, 11, 12 years ago, and then Facebook 13 years ago gets big. And here comes uh, Instagram, Twitter, everything. And I'm, I'm not really technically on uh, the internet. I poked my nose in Facebook for about a week and decided what a colossal waste of time that is, even though it's useful. Yes. Yes. More uh, things to do, yes. Uh-huh. Years, some years ago, I was at Disneyland and the girls all come up and they all want, uh, want selfies. And I got yeah. used to oh, selfies. Now one day I said, well, what do you do with all these pictures? And the gal opened up her smartphone. She says, look, look, you have an off day. You only had 176 hits and hits in the last hour. I got hit. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you pay attention? So last year I looked and it was 8,000 people. What? Don't they have anything else to do except follow me around on Instagram? What is it? what, 12,000 now? What is it? Some yeah, it's, it's 11 or 12,000, I think, when I checked it uh, not yeah, too long ago. And, uh, and my business manager and I, we did a thing about a month ago with, uh, with um, um, Tanya Norris, who did a lot of work for uh, Walt. And, you know, she and I are about the same age. age and uh, mm-hmm. I think it was 52,000 uh, people watched it. That's I great. mean, this uh, is... The world has exploded, and I'm still sitting here in my quiet office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the Imagineering story in particular was just so amazing and so impactful. It's actually one of the reasons why we jumped on Disney Plus right away. I know, Brett, that's the reason why he got it right it's, away. Yeah, It was just and such it, a really cool um, look at the, the whole structure of Imagineering, and particularly uh, what was interesting about it was it, it didn't hide any of the, the rough points. Uh, it was... It was very uh, well done. Leslie Iveworks just did a stellar job with that documentary. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, in the same way that I told you early on about all being, uh, you know, just a quiet, ordinary fellow, uh, his older son, uh, Don Iveworks, who later had a, a big company, and he was one of my clients for the Guru Design Company, um, 
his daughter is Leslie. So Leslie grew up in that Iwerks family of quiet, thorough doing of things. And then the day came uh, quite a long time ago that say, you know, they ought to like, take a better look at the Imagineers and it was going to be a 90 minute program. And then uh, uh, Bob Iger is always looking way out in the future because he had a good friend, Steve Jobs. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I've, I've known Iger for a long time. But he was reaching way out and this idea of Disney Plus was coming along. And they thought, ooh, we have time now to take a big look at things. Say we should look at the Imagineering in a broader, more thorough way. And talked to Leslie and said, yeah, why don't you take a lot of time? Go talk to everybody and do it your way. That could only happen had she come out of that very quiet, conservative, thorough, doing type of family. So her eyes would pick up things that other people wouldn't pick up. Um, one of the little clips that uh, she had me do um, early last year was do what we call a pickup shot. Mm -hmm. And I'm down at the park in the Matterhorn. There's no planning. She's just thinking, we got a small crew. And it was like, she'd think about something. She says, Bob, I want you to go do this, this, and this. It'll take you about 10 seconds and then, and then uh, just stop and we'll think of something else. She's thinking the whole time and she looks at the set and settings around her. She did this with everybody all the time. I was surprised when I finally saw what they'd done. I had no idea what she wanted. She didn't know where she was going, but her eye was ready for something that's always story. And I know when I saw the, uh, the first uh, segment back in uh, September, I think it was last year, I thought, my goodness, an open-minded storyteller, not in a rush. Those are the people that are gonna put the history there for everyone to enjoy and they can thoroughly understand Walt a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just it was that, only fair. Whole, it was only oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. And it was only I was. It was such a touching part when you were uh, going through the uh, the Matterhorn and you got to sign your name. You know, it wasn't a time for you to sign your name on on the board of all of the cast members who'd worked at the at the Matterhorn. It just was a really touching moment. So thank you for that. So. Well, that was that was totally unplanned because the last segment of, of me going upstairs through the elevator and they, she says, uh, go and when you see the cage, make a turn, go around the cage uh, and then you'll be up in an open area. And I got around the open area. The camera guy's gone now. And I see a basketball hoop. I heard about it. And oh, there were three basketballs on the floor. I have bad shoulders. I can't do sports. And I picked up a ball, and the first one went to the right, the second one went to the left, and the third one went right flat. <laughs> and I jumped screaming. I have never gotten a hoop in my life. And I turned around, and there's the camera guy just still looking at me. <laughs> That's a good thing. And then, and then she says, uh, uh, calm down, Bob. It's okay. Oh, yeah, but that's the first and only hoop. <laughs> she says, look at the walls. And I went around, and everything is covered, all the woodwork, steelwork. It was awe-striking. People love working in that Matterhorn. It's a very special spot. The thousands of autographs everywhere, which i never seen as I walked in there. And that just, that took me back. And then she walked me over to an electrical panel, a nice big gray door, and she says, sign it. Oh, no, no, I can't look, because if I do it, everybody else will want to do it. There's, there, I, I can't do that. And she hands me the pen, and she says, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. Paying no attention where anybody else went. And I reached up in the bad shoulder, and I signed it and give her back the pen. And I had no idea until I saw the movie, I'm autographing. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, she wanted to depict the continuity. 
of early days of Walt and Wet to mm -hmm. where we are today, mm -hmm. the creative minds never stop. Mm -hmm. And this old guy, he actually got a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, he, and of all things, he autographed a building like that's my palette. Mm -hmm. She invited me to sign mm -hmm. my autograph. And I just thought, well, I'll be done. <laughs> that was and amazing. It's just so great. It's, it, you know, it's that storytelling and that curiosity and that creativity that all of you bring that has brought so much joy to us all. So, so thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time uh, this afternoon to talk to us. It's incredible. Wow. Um, you know, one thing I did want to mention, I know that you're involved in uh, Walt Land Travels. So in kind of the touring company throughout Burbank and Glendale. And I just wanted, if you had any uh, message you wanted to talk about that or any information there that you wanted to give people. Yes, uh, quite a number of years ago, uh, all this social stuff got to be quite overwhelming. So that's why I've had to have a business manager all these years. Uh, his, his name is Ernie Alonzo. Ernie uh, handles all the calls, uh, you know, makes all the assignments and everything. Uh, but he had this idea years ago of, of a tour to take people to the specific places where Walt lived or where he, the things he did with his family. Not so much the company, but mostly just, just Walt and his family. And I says, Ernie, for about uh, 17 years, I've been doing that for family and friends. Why don't we get out in the car and I'll draft out a route and the timing and everything. So we did a, a five hour run through. And then the next uh, month we launched the bus tour and it's been building ever since. Of course, we're temporarily down now, but we'll resume in uh, August. Uh, we seem to always have a backlog of people wanting to take the tour and you can find it on uh, waltland.com. Here's another curious thing about uh, what the quarantine has done to people. A lot of people haven't been able to do things they wanna do. I don't do the public appearances anymore until that were resumed. Would you believe I make more now, I make twice as much money now as before when I was working in the public? Oh, wow. There are so many things that people would like to enjoy in their home that they remember Disney about if I will autograph them. Mm -hmm. wow. So it's the darndest yeah. thing that people, the tiniest thing I could do for somebody, I just sign something. And it gives them such a joy and it and it's available and, and Ernie, uh, you know, gets them made for, for people. Mm -hmm. So um, I do a ton of autographs a month now. It's mm -hmm. uh, kind of like a, a regular thing. It's kind of like, I started out to design stuff. Why am I on Instagram? Why am I on <laughs> It's like, you're popular because we're all we're all oh, so great love you and you're oh, oh, you never warned me of this <laughs> I, it was it's so funny because actually i was looking online and i was going to suggest that brett uh think about purchasing one of those uh matterhorn bobsled uh sculptures oh sure you know sold out so but uh, um but no i um truly just thank you so much uh and it's because you have brought so much creativity and joy. I mean, it, just the experience as a as a father of taking my son into Disney World for the first time. That that experience is is felt by so many people, so many thousands and millions of people every single year. And it's because of the groundwork and the designs and the hard work that you put in. And that's why we are so appreciative of you. And just thank you uh, so much from from all of us here. Yes, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. So much. Somebody have a good day. What an amazing interview. Thank you so much, Bob, for uh, just sitting down with us and really sharing some wonderful stories, some insights about not only working with Walt, but Marty Sklar and other Imagineers throughout his career, how he, how he got started being basically the paper boy and, and almost next door neighbors to of iWorks. It's just absolutely an incredible, astounding career that is still going on. So uh, Vanessa, what's your reaction to the interview? Oh, he's a dream. I love him. I love guys like that who are just really energetic. And I, I just love that he doesn't waste a second. You can tell that he's always thinking, always working, and has a real enthusiasm, as we've learned, 
for life and work, and he's just a complete delight. Absolutely. Brett? So many takeaways. Um, number one, it's so cool to talk to someone who, who, who was there, who worked side by side with all of the heroes of, uh, of our Disney theme park dreams. I think the big takeaway is when he was talking about, um, don't be afraid of, of a, a blank piece of paper. Take that as an opportunity to create and just say yes. And I'm terrified of blank pieces of paper. I, uh, I got to tell you, so I need to definitely work on that myself. But thank you to everyone who has supported our podcast uh, in the past and has been following us for years. And thank you so much if you're brand new to the podcast for checking us out. You can find more of us on nprillinois.org. You also could find us in any podcast app that you'd like. Just search for Beyond the Mouse. You can also find the Front Row Network and the Front Row Network social media pages on Facebook at the Front Row Network and also on Twitter, Front Row Reviews with a Z. Now, we had such a great time bringing you both of our Disney Legends interviews in the month of June. Thank you again so much to Floyd Norman and to Bob Gurr. It's been absolutely incredible. We hope to bring you some more interviews in the relatively near future. Uh, and we also will be getting back to our regular slate of shows where we're talking all about Disney movies and Disney parks. We have some Disney parks opening uh, in the near future. So it's a, a good time to be a Disney fan. And thank you for following along with us. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Bob Gurr! Oh my gosh. Bob Gurr. That was just Bob, Bob Gurr. Bob Gurr. Bob Gurr. Huh? So good. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs>